If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to another episode of the UK Film Review podcast. I'm your host, Lucy, and today I'm joined with Brian, who is another um, UK film reviewer. And today we're going to discuss films of the 1960s and why there are so many great movements of film in the 60s and what we really like about 60s cinema. Um, hi, Brian. Um, hi, what uh, hi. do you really like about 60s cinema? I mean, for me, the 1960s was a turning point politically and socially, but also in terms of popular culture. There were revolutions going on everywhere in music, fashion, literature, and also films. Mm. But to truly appreciate the impact they had, we need to think about what preceded it. Films in the 1950s, for example, they were great, but they were comfortable and they were predictable and safe. If you went to the movies in the 1950s, you're likely, you would likely have seen a musical, a Western a sprawling epic, a war movie of some sort, maybe a light romantic comedy. But they, in the 1960s, they gave way to um, a rawness and a grittiness that hadn't previously been seen. And we had a new breed of filmmakers that were telling stories about real people living real lives. And it's no coincidence that the, the kitchen sink drama, as it was known, came to the fore at this time. And we, we could see something that represented us normal, regular people living the sort of lives that we identify with. 
that for me is what distinguishes the 60s from the 50s. There was a new reality in the 60s, but also very stylish. You know, everything I can associate with the 60s was new, confident and brash and innovative as well. And it also precipitated a period of social change, which I think is interesting, really, because you look at the way society liberalised in Britain, at least in the 60s, towards the end of the 60s. And that was reflected in the films that were being made. So I think it was an exciting time for uh, filmmaking in general, but particularly because of what it represented. And there was a, a social change as well going on. Yeah, I think you're totally right there. And um, I think last year we did a podcast on the 1940s. And what's really interesting is that most of 1940s cinema, like in the 50s, kind of looks all the same in a good way. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. But you see, that's the thing, though, that it's that familiarity that's quite comforting. But, Mm. you know, we, we, we need something more as film goes, don't we? Yeah, exactly. You need something that's a bit different. And what I really like about the 60s is from the same decade, you can watch Oliver, you can mm. watch Charade, which is such a great kind of caper with Cary yeah. Grant and Audrey yeah. Hepburn. Yeah. But you can also find um, movies like Daisy, a very kind of weird Czech surrealist <laughs> film yeah it's a a mixed bag wasn't it really completely mixed bag whereas I think maybe earlier in the century films are a bit kind of there's a definite flavor for each decade Mm. whereas in the 60s I just think it's so interesting because you start to get that real shift between Mm. the old musicals and family features Mm. And the kind of the new experimental revolutionary types of filmmaking. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you touched on a really interesting point there about kind of um, glamour glamour in the Mm. 1960s. And I think Mm. so many really cool film stars come out of the 1960s, like Bridget Bardot and Alan Delon and Michael Caine. And it's a glamorous time. I know. Absolutely. And... You probably already know Michael Caine is one of my all-time favourite mm. actors. And um, it, it's emblematic of, of the period. Um, it's interesting that you, that you mentioned Michael Caine particularly. He made a film documentary, I think three years ago, called My Generation, that, um, where he described his experiences growing up in the 40s and the 50s and making films in the 60s. And he touched exactly on that, that when he was growing up, it was very grey and it was very dull. Post-war Britain. It was dull, mm, yeah. it was grey, it was austere. But the Still 1960s, <laughs> Yeah, exactly, rationing. But there was an explosion of colour. And working class actors were being employed as well. Yeah. I suppose another kind of film that would pop to, come to mind is Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. Oh, I love that film. Such a great film. I'm so glad you mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately in there with the classic British kitchen sink dramas. Yeah, of course. I mean, this was 1960, so this is the very start of the 60s, mm. starring Albert Finney, Shirley Anfield, Rachel Davis, fantastic cast, and tells, as we touched on earlier on, tells a, a real story that we can all relate to. But the character played by Albert Finney was a factory worker, lot bags of attitude, not deferring to his so-called elders and betters, mm. and juggling two affairs and 
there's that grittiness there that that I love, and also the fact that probably for the first time on screen, on the big screen, we saw actors with authentic regional accents. Albert Finney yeah. was a sulfur boy born and raised, and he was able, he was allowed to use his own accent. Yeah, for sure. I love the idea of kind of British kitchen sink dramas mm. because I think we now really do think of British film as being the kitchen sink drama yeah. with maybe a bit of, I don't know, Notting Hill, Richard Curtis thrown yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, the thing is, like, that's a genre that our film industry mastered very early on. Mm. And I think if you look at the films that they make in North America, of course, they're very good, but they didn't. They still don't get the same realism and no, earthiness. Not that much of the of the sense of grit. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. And I, I think Saturday night and Sunday morning did that, and also the fact it was in black and white. Now, Lucy, what do you think about black and white movies? You know, because you, you still get some films shot in black and white now, but they're mainly colour. But mm. it seems that it seems to be a much sharper focus in black and white and. To me, the uh, the films in the early sort of kitchen sink drama period were all in black and white. Do you think that gives it more impact? Yeah, I think I think so, and I think there was an idea at that time. Um, maybe it was kind of wearing out by the beginning of the sixties, but certainly mm. kind of mid fifties. The idea was that black and white cinema evoked realism. Mm. So you know, going back to the nineteen forties, I suppose that's by things like bicycle thieves is black and white yeah whereas you know of course they had that technology to make something beautiful and technicolor but the idea of having something really bright and technicolor Mm. kind of was you were thinking about something fantastical and so i suppose that's why all of the really big um musical numbers i keep coming back to oliver and i think it's just because part of my brain really wants to go back and watch oliver oh, for some reason. Lu- lucy what's wrong with that oliver's a great oliver's, film. oliver's a classic it is a i would say again it's very debatable but i would say oliver is the greatest british musical ever made and one of the greatest film musicals ever made and that was in 68 mm. yes it was in color but it had the benefit of a very strong story is Charles Dickens. It would be a strong story if it's Dickens. But it also had great musical numbers in. Lionel Bart wrote a class an absolute classic score. Oh, it's and it was great. packed <laughs> but it was packed with showstoppers though, wasn't it? You Absolutely. Know, if, yeah. You know, if you look at um, most musicals, they might have one or two showstoppers. Some musicals don't have any at all and they still do well. But um, Oliver has eight or nine showstoppers it starts with a showstopper through glorious food mm. you know and doesn't and doesn't finish without one kind of i think pretty I, I much know. all the songs in oliver yeah you will know somewhere yeah. in, your, know. <laughs> in your in your memory lucy great great songs endure don't they mm. they're great memory breakers and they stick in your mind but you know that is a great film but in some ways though i, I think oliver it's probably harking back to the classic Hollywood era in some ways in the way it was presented. But it proved that they could still thrive yeah. in the 60s. But I wonder whether that was just really um, this new approach to filmmaking rubbing off a bit more on other filmmakers. Maybe you know? because, you know, thinking about the plot of Oliver, it's mm. quite dark. Oh, it or, is. Yeah. Or something that's always seen as quite a cheery musical. Yeah. It's 
it's quite dark and you know yeah, you've got nancy who's you know murdered halfway through i know and bill sykes is a nasty piece of work he's isn't a really he? horrible character and yeah, so re- in fact i don't think there are many likable characters in oliver because you think mr bumble and mrs bumble um, horrible characters <laughs> they're horrible right you, um you've got the undertaker he's a horrible character um they're all nasty characters. Now, probably Nancy and Oliver are probably and, the only really... And the man who saves him at the end. Yeah, oh, end yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, it goes without saying it, you know. But there, there are very few likeable characters. There are characters that you, you, um, that you can either despise or like, but they're, they're, they're characters you care about, but they're not very nice characters at all. And you're quite right. A lot of Charles Dickens' work was very dark, and it did draw attention to so, social inequality. Mm. It, he wrote about de- debtors' prisons. It was not. He wrote about a very unpleasant part of life. I always thought Charles Dickens really should have been a politician and not a writer, because he drew attention to matters that only really were really dealt with in the 20th century. Yeah, but, yeah. But I love that film. So, you know, we could we, we could have one podcast all on Oliver. <laughs> one we, podcast really? on Oliver. That would all be about Oliver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think. But again, it's no it's no coincidence. It fell into the 60s, and the fact that it kind of represents the classic Hollywood era. Um, you could also say that there were. I mean, if you go back earlier in the, in the decade, you had a film. You had. The Magnificent Seven in 1960, mm, yeah, yeah, arguably the greatest western of all time, and you you had the Great Escape in 1963, arguably the greatest war picture of all time. Yeah. But even though we we would associate those sort of films more with the previous decade, you know, yeah, so, yeah, I, I would agree there. You would you, you kind of think, oh, aren't they? Weren't they made in the last decade yeah. or something? But, but that's what, that's just it, though, isn't it? Is it you know? You and I, being the film bus that we are, will, in our own minds, will categorise films in that way. And you think, that belongs to a different genre or a different decade, but it still works. Uh, but I, I think the the way the trajectory went for um, kitchen sink dramas in the early 60s, you know, if we start with Saturday night and Sunday morning, mm. and we move forward year by year. I was looking at it earlier on. It's It's interesting the way... It's developed because in 1961, we had a film called A Taste of Honey, yeah, uh, which is the Sheila Delaney yes, story. Yes, of course. Um, a brilliant film sh- starring Rita Tushingham, Dora Bryan, Murray Melvin. And that film was a potboiler of, of a script, really. The storyline, you know, the fact that um, Rita Tushingham played a girl who, 17 years old, uh, becomes pregnant after having an affair with, with a sailor from the Caribbean, uh, then moves in with her gay friend, played mm. by Murray Melvin. But she also has an alcoholic uh, an alcoholic mother who's a nightmare to live with, played by Dora Bryan. And all those issues they're dealing with there, interracial relationships, teenage pregnancy, homosexuality, which was illegal at the time, all being dealt with in a film released in the early 60s. Yeah, amazing. Do you not think that's quite daring for the time? I think it's it's massively daring, but it kind of speaks to kind of what filmmakers were prepared to experiment with and mm. play around with at that time. Because as you, as you were talking through 
that one, I was thinking about To Sir with Love, you know, the, the oh, Sydney Poitier yeah. film. And Sydney Sydney Poitier is a is yeah. a high school teacher who inspires yeah. Yeah. his class to just become better individuals. And that, that's quite a heartwarming film. Yeah. But that, in that whole yeah. film, there's loads about racism and there's yeah. loads about working class backgrounds and mm, it's quite absolutely. a you know it's it's not as fluffy <laughs> a film as yeah. it is when you first start watching it and I think no. that kind of approach to social issues whether yeah. it be something like in um, A Taste of Honey or in To Sew With Love you know if it's yeah. slightly softer or if it's a bit yeah. more kind of hard not hardcore but it's a bit kind of we've got to dive into all of these issues yeah. there's a keener look in the 60s to actually grapple yeah. with these social issues than yeah. maybe earlier on mm. no i think you're quite right your point about the fluffiness <laughs> the apparent fluffiness of to serve love you're quite right you fit on the right point there because it it looks like one of those typically light heartwarming story and it's based on a true story as yeah. well yeah. Uh, it gives it added weight for me but it does come across that way, but it is dealing with some quite quite sort of socially relevant issues that you don't realise when you first watch it. And of course, Sidney Poitier is one of the great screen actors. Oh, he's fabulous well. in it. He's just so great and very, yeah. calm. it's such a calm presence. Yeah. But and also, he just changes the lives of these kids. Yeah. And he wins them around, doesn't he? Yeah. It's really interesting to watch that relationship develop between him and the, and the pupils because they 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 just dismissed him, didn't they, really, mm. at the beginning. But he gradually won them around. And it's he realised at the, the very end of the film that he, this was his vocation, this is what he was meant to do, that he was meant to shape and mould young people going into the, the world. And they appreciated what he did for them he taught them how to be adults because the the kids he was teaching were like 15 16 years old let's say and about to go out into the big wide world and he gave them that grounding and there's something very genuine and touching about the the impact that he that he had and i think it's great when the story's true you know when you when you you know when you watch a film for the first time and you see the opening titles and you see those graphics this is based on a true story oh yeah yeah doesn't that kind of lift it even more for me does what does that do for you when you see that well it kind of depends because if it's because i suppose we've got this this trend of biopics now Mm. where then if it's if it says based on a true story you're thinking Mm. hmm okay Mm. (laughs) well yeah yeah but i think like in to sir um to sir with love um if it's an unknown true story mm. and it's something yeah. that's been, you know, found out or somebody's written a book about it yeah. and it's not something about a celebrity, mm. then it does kind of hit the heart a bit more and be like, this really did happen. Yeah, that that's a good point. If it's a well-known story, if it's already well-known and it's already out there, it's easier to pick it apart and say, right, that's wrong, that's wrong. But if you're presenting the audience with a true story that wasn't previously known, you know, part of the reason we're doing this podcast is to remind viewers, listeners, what's out there. You know, these undiscovered classics, these undiscovered stories, these stories that have been forgotten. And mate, I think you're quite right about that, that a true story carries more weight if it's not widely known mm. if you if a filmmaker has discovered something new then that's that 
makes even more currency as far as I'm concerned that they're, gi- they're giving us something new that we didn't know about yeah a new perspective or just something different yeah. to think about you know yeah I think it's interesting that you you've uh, picked to so we love uh in 1967 which was a key year um in terms of uh, the way films were reflecting what was happening in society in 1967 we had the Sexual Offences Act and we also had the Abortion Act, mm. which it's interesting for me, the juxtaposition of those acts in relation to the films that were being made in, say, the previous five or six years, were kind, was kind of addressing what these issue, issues were being raised in these films. You know, if we look at, for example, Alfie starring Michael Caine yeah, of course, in yeah. 1966, now... Alfie as a character doesn't sit particularly well with modern sensibilities. He, <laughs> no. I mean, let, let's be honest, he, he was the, the definition of a misogynist. Absolutely. He, I think that's he, probably why the remake did not do very exactly, well. Exactly. It was a different film. I, for me, that was an entirely different mm. film. But you see, the thing is, Alfie as a character used women to service his own needs. But what was remarkable about that film was that as the story progressed, he got he, he had a fling with a married woman, got her pregnant, forced her to have an abortion, which ended badly. But it, it, it broke him emotionally. It changed him. It gave him feelings. Mm. But it also drew attention to what was going on, that many women were, were going to backstreet abortionists in order to get rid of an unwanted pregnancy. And there was no other way out because abortion was still illegal. All right, the pill had been around since the early 60s, but it, there was still a lack of available, a lack of options there. And I think it's interesting that that film came the year before, you know, the year before. And if we look at the films that were being made earlier in the 60s as well, it gives us an idea of how it was addressing social issues. 1960... Yeah, it's sorry, after like, you. Sorry, it, it's almost like the filmmakers were miles ahead yeah. of any kind of government ideas and yeah. so you know if the filmmakers are making this to resonate with the general public then the general public's kind of consensus and how they felt about mm. abortion rights and homosexuality were mm. you know miles ahead of mm. where the government thought it should be yeah and even as we kind of previously kind of touched upon um, Saturday night and Sunday morning, mm. that also has an abortion plot line or does, kind yeah. of yeah. will they or won't they? And that's yeah. why his two affairs <laughs> yeah. gets all kind of scrambled up because he suddenly has to make a decision. Yeah, um, right. And I think it's very interesting that in both Alfie and mm. um, Saturday night and Sunday morning, mm. the onus isn't on the women. It's not their fault mm. the people that have to change are the men mm. and the, the people it impacts most are the men yeah. even though you know the women have to go through it yeah they're not really portrayed as women who have i don't know fallen from grace mm. it's more so that the men have tricked them or that they've yeah. um been dishonest with their kind of <laughs> they're not going to marry them kind of thing yeah so it's very interesting rather than potentially punishing any yeah. women it's a bit more critical yeah. on it, relationships at the time and it's, it's it's very creative and it's an innovative way of approaching 
an issue and a problem, but it was still looked upon as a taboo subject. Um, I, I think coming out of the 1950s, Britain was conservative with a small c. Mm. And we were just coming out of that period of austerity. And there was a reluctance to face these issues, I think, that they were raising. I mean, let's, let's take another film from the early 60s. Uh, a film called Victim, made in 1961. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. Ah, right. Okay. That one. <laughs> now, this is one. This is one you've got. To, you've got to check out, and listeners must check it out as well. This film, made in 1961, starred Dirk Bogard and Sylvia Sims. Oh, brilliant! I love Dirk Bogard. It's yeah. Great. Well, right. You're gonna. You're gonna like this. He plays a hotshot barrister, just about to be made a QC, happily married, outwardly, so we all assume, mm-hmm. but. He's secretly gay and right. starts a relationship with one, one of his clients. He's being blackmailed by somebody else because they know he's gay, right? Mm. And it's, it's a fascinating story told in a very um, raw, matter-of-fact way. But 1961, if you note the date that it was made, 1961, directed by Basil Dearden, mm. this film... Lucy caused such a stir you wouldn't believe. Yeah, I can imagine it. It's it's so controversial. Yeah, the uh, British Board of Film Classification gave it an X rating, only on condition <laughs> that certain scenes were cut. Now, that, for them to say that is going, you know, the fact that film was made and it it made it onto the big screen at all in Britain was an achievement. Mm-hmm. But when the British Board of Film Classification say right. It's an X rating, even after all these cuts have been made. Right. In America, it didn't even work. It didn't even get. No, I can't. Past... I can't imagine it working. <laughs> yeah, it didn't even get past the census. Yeah, perhaps we wouldn't be surprised by that in America. But it shows, though, doesn't it, how far ahead of its time it was. Yeah, and especially was... Dirk Bogard as well, because yeah. in the sixties, his his um, career was extraordinary. I know. Especially I know. with stuff like The Servant as well, and all of these very tricky and realist roles that he yeah. was really getting into, as opposed yeah. to the stuff from the 50s and the 40s that he'd yeah. been playing, all the um, kind of love interests. Yeah. So, well, yeah. You, you've made a, made a really good point there. It's a really good observation because Dirk Bogart was a heartthrob mm. actor. Yeah. He, he, he had... had... Like a, he was a... He was a playing in one of these doctors series yeah, or something. Yes. Right. Yeah. He was a romantic lead, wasn't he, in most films? Yeah. So imagine the chance he was taking at that stage in his career in making a film like that. Oh massively, but, massively. But, he could have ruined his career. <laughs> yeah. But I mean good on him for doing it, for taking a chance and not playing safe. But that was nineteen sixty one. So you know British filmmakers, they were just years ahead of the curve Yeah, exactly. what was going on. Just really trying to get out there and really challenge the yeah. social norms or, you yeah. know, what, what other people were feeling. But also, I feel, do it in a way with a lot of heart mm. because I feel like a lot of these um, kitchen sink dramas mm. are very heartfelt and I think there's a reason that they've kind of stayed in the public consciousness for a yeah. while is because they're not just, here's something controversial. Yeah. It's a film with films with real story and real heart and real yeah. characters and something to really kind of grip onto as well. 
Yeah. Oh, they've got. You're right. They've got heart. You know, they've got guts, haven't they? They they will they will speak about subjects that perhaps a lot of people at the time wouldn't have wanted to discuss. But they kind of broke ground for the filmmakers that followed, so they didn't have to. Mm. You know, and filmmaking is all about breaking taboos. It's all about pushing boundaries. You know, we want to see good storytelling. But we want to be enlightened and educated as well when we see a film. But what makes these kitchen sink dramas so memorable is that it's a slice of life that we recognise. Coming back to Michael Caine again, I'm sorry, I'll try not to mention <laughs> no, Michael it's fine. Caine anymore. The Michael um, Caine section. <laughs> yeah, the Michael Caine section. But he he looked at films in the 40s and 50s and he said, there was nobody representing me up there. Mm, yeah, he said, yeah. In a typical British film, the man would be wearing a bow tie and the woman would be dressed in tweed. And they'd be saying, I love you. I love you too. <laughs> and he said, that's not me. That's not us. That's not you or me. It's not the way we talk. There's nobody representing us. And this comes back to the earlier point about authentic regional accents being allowed. And I, th- I think he, he's, got, he's got a point. But you see, in the 60s, he was able to be himself. I mean, let's take another great film from the 60s, shall we? The Epcrest File. Oh, I love The Epcrest File. It's right. Great. Now, we know that we know that was made into a, um, a TV drama recently, but the original Epcrest File can't be beaten for me. Um, no, Michael, no. Michael Caine. <laughs> Michael Caine insisted on wearing glasses for this part. Did he? And, yeah. And wow. they, want, they wanted him to leave the glasses off. He said, no, no, no. Harry Palmer has to blend He's a spy, right? Spies don't look like James Bond. <laughs> they don't. They don't act like no. James Bond. They, you know, as much as I love James Bond, but he's what the point he was making is: I'm an everyman. I'm supposed to be recognisable to people, right? If I wear glasses, that makes me one of the crowd. That makes me more convincing as a spy and more believable as a character. But also behind that, though, he's saying, look, I'm re- I'm representing the people. There's somebody mm. up there that says, right. He looks a bit like the bloke that that I've spoken to down the pub, or he looks like my next door neighbour, right? And that is what was great about kitchen sink dramas and films in the sixties, is that they drove through to reality a lot more, where previously they just didn't. Yeah, yeah, and I think you've picked up something really interesting that Michael Caine said that you know he couldn't see himself in mm. the films from the forties and fifties, and that's partly why. British kitchen sink dramas mm. became a became a thing and became a movement is yeah. because 40s and 50s films were all about upper class characters they, melodramas second yeah. tent you know <laughs> yeah but they were weren't they when you think about it and I think to talk about films in the 60s you need to appreciate what you know what we they've been had been seen previously and why in so many ways it was a breath of fresh air you know that Films in the 60s would would still carry similar content to what was in the 50s, but with a lot more added, a lot more mm. added value. So we could still see films like Breakfast at Tiffany's, for example. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I love that film just for being what it is and being so wholesome in the way it comes across and that great image of Audrey Hepburn. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. Of her in the black dress holding the, the cigarette holder. You know, what a great image that is. But you see that film nestling with a film like A Taste of Honey and Victim and Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. I think it proves that there was a greater variety of films yeah. coming through in the 60s. I think Breakfast at Tiffany's is a bit of a gateway film. Mm. Mm. And I think if you if you talk to people about Breakfast at Tiffany's, mm. often it's the only Audrey Hepburn that they've seen. Yeah. And I don't yeah. think it's her, I don't think it's her best. Um No, it probably isn't. No. And it's very it's it's nice. It's a nice film. <laughs> but I yeah, think yeah. if you only watch things like Breakfast at Tiffany's, mm. your idea of what film was like in the 1960s is very skewed to something that's quite antiquated and like quite old fashioned and mm. quite yeah. quaint, really. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a very pretty film, isn't it? Mm. You know, visually it's very pleasing, but it's. It's very light and insubstantial, even though it is quite stylish in its own way. But it shows that a film like that could still be released in, in the 60s and not get buried by all this uh, gritty, realistic, powerful drama that we that we were enjoying at the time. Yeah, yeah. So you can yeah. have the best of both worlds. Or you can even have the best of both worlds in the same film. I'm thinking of something like The Apartment. Oh, Which, that is a great film. Honestly, one of I my most favourite film. films. Oh, I love that film. That's Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. Yes, yeah. And Fred McMurray. Yeah, and it's a Billy Wilder film, and you always uh, just think, some like it hot, Billy Wilder. Yeah. And oh, then you wow. have The Apartment, which is gritty, uh, yeah. and it's got this realism of this guy trapped into like this workaholic uh, Capitalist passion. I, I tell you what, they're, and they're, then, yeah, yeah. Go on, carry on, please carry on. Well, don't worry. And then um, also, you've got kind of Shirley MacLaine really struggling with yeah. lots of mental health issues. Um, yeah. Her character at the time, yeah. but then it's also a romantic comedy. Yeah, it is. It's kind. It's kind of multi-purpose, isn't it? And that yeah. was made in 1960 as well, I believe. Yeah, so very early on in the decade. But yeah. I really do think it's probably one of those that's just emblematic yeah. of the whole decade because you've got that funny cutesiness on one yeah. hand but then you've yeah. also got the idea that it really wants to play with serious issues yeah. you're, you're really right, wants to bring things to light yeah you, you know that's really a, a cool observation Lucy I never really saw it that way I love that film but I I, I kind of often seen it more as a, as a, a very slick uh, and well-made romantic comedy but you're right you, mm. there's something 
underneath all of that, isn't there? It's something yeah. very subtle bubbling away. You're quite right. But I mean, what a great combination though. So Billy Wilder directing as well. I know. Uh, Honestly, it's such a, it's just an A star. Yeah. It's an, embar- it's an embarrassment of riches, isn't it? When, when you look at making a film and I mean, I don't know who the producer was, but you think, my God, talk about falling on your feet. Mm getting a cast like that and a script like that and a director who can just make it sing. And yeah, brilliant. Love that film. Absolutely brilliant. And you're right about combining different styles. You know, it's, it's a, it's a very good mix going on there and not easy to put on screen, but you need to be a very skilled writer and director to do it. And Billy Wilder was so good at doing that. Billy Wilder Uh, is one of my favorite directors and he just, just had it. Yeah. The, thing, the thing is, Billy Wilder's rarely made a bad film to me. You mm. know, it's to keep that kind of quality and that standard going. In in some ways, I think it was slightly better than Some Like It Hot, the apartment. Yeah, I Even think it's though, because it's more cynical. It's, it's yeah. very kind of black comedy. Yeah, I think it could well be that Some Like It Hot... Be, all right, you've got... You've got it's full of icons, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, some like it. You've got Monroe, but um, it does kind of verge into slapstick in places. Some like it hot. Yes. But to me, the with apartment, Tony Curtis's impression yeah. of yeah, Harry Grant. <laughs> this is it. It's all it's all very very effective, isn't it? But uh, the apartment was much more articulate and intelligent and thoughtful, and something very clever going on there. It's almost uh, like if you don't like Woody Allen films. Watch the apartment. Yeah, that's so, certainly yeah, that's so certainly you, one way of looking at it. You yeah. like the idea of Woody Allen, but every time you switch on Annie Hall, you're just like you can't deal with Woody Allen. It's just watch like, the apartment. Know, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's kind of you're right. I think it's the apartment. It's the palatable aspects of Woody Allen. Woody <laughs> Allen. The palatable aspect. Well, you know, let's, let's go off a bit of a tangent just for a bit. Um, Woody Allen is somebody that's so incredibly talented. Some of these films are just, you think, God, it's too clever and it's too annoying. Mm. And it's almost annoying in some ways that he's he's, so, he's he's kind of overdoing it. He's trying to sort of show people, look, aren't I clever? Aren't I good? Look how well I can direct myself. <laughs> you know. Well, look, look how funny I find myself, which I exactly, think is, is yeah. kind of the point it, of Annie Hall. <laughs> I know. And I think that kind of, whilst he's, he's hugely talented, I, I think he's... His ability, his ability and propensity to overanalyze and and turn the camera on himself so often because he he sees it all as a form of therapy, doesn't he, Woody Allen? Yeah, and if if he's not in it, then somebody who basically is him is the well, main yeah, exa- character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, somebody who is him, who's slightly slimmer and taller and got more hair or something. Yeah, um, yeah, you're quite right. But I think that to me, the apartment shows how you should make a an intelligent film that does what Woody Allen kind of almost does, but doesn't overdo it and doesn't annoy the audience quite as much. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably the way I'd put it. I suppose if you want to like Woody Allen films, but you haven't found the one that you really like. That's probably <laughs> go it, the, yeah. Go for the apartment. Yeah, that's probably it, yeah. I mean, but you could pick any number of films in the 60s that kind of think you match it against something that came afterwards. And you think there's something missing from maybe a film in the 70s that something in the 60s didn't have. You know, the, I mean, we're talking about slapstick films, weren't we? Mm, uh, films yeah. going into slapstick. 1963, again, the, the year that The Great Escape came out, 
we had a film called It's a Mad Mad World. Now that was pure slapstick, and it had it was in color, but it had an A to Z of movie stars in it. Right. Yeah. Now I don't know. Have you ever seen this film? No, I've never heard it, of it actually. It's it's a series of set pieces. You know, there's a a group of people running to get to a point in America, in Los Angeles, where some money's buried. So they all come across a guy that's just about to peg it, right? Played by Buster Keaton, funny enough. And <laughs> he tells them where some where some money's buried. He's a bank robber, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, they all hear him say it. And then they all shoot off. It's a chase movie across America. And it's got Ethel Merman in it and Mickey Rooney. You know, all, you know, all, all the stars. Yeah, all probably starts in the forties and fifties more Ethel Merman's in it as well. Right. And they're all just chasing after where they think this money might be. And it is pure slapstick. Right. And it is, in some ways it's not typical of the sixties Yeah. because they were moving away from that, but it shows you how diverse it still was in the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. Those are kind of, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, the plank, which is a 1960s movie. Yeah, I, think. I have. Eric Sykes. Yeah, and it's completely it's it's completely silent. Yeah. Or there's not any talking in it, and yep. that's kind of very slapstick as well. Yeah. And like you're kind of like, how does this belong in the 60s? I know. But yeah, I know, but it, 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 <laughs> yeah, I, the plank the plank uh, had Eric Sykes in. Again, it it there were a few. I think Barbara Windsor was in it. Sir James. There were a few people from the carry-on scene yeah, yeah, in yeah. it as well. All silent. So a silent movie has no barriers, does it? That yeah. If it's purely slapstick, it's universal because it's not relying on, on dialogue at all. And it got remade, actually, the plank. In, Eric Sykes remade it in the late 70s. Oh, right. but, it wasn't as, but it wasn't as good, though, as, okay. the, six, as the one in 67. So, um, yeah, it's... But, yeah. That's I forgot. I'd forgotten all about that. Yeah, just bringing the plank back into everybody's collective memory. <laughs> I know. That's right. It's it's another 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 forgotten classic. That's that's what we're here to do. Is, is to remind people. <laughs> remind people of these these films that do exist. It, these are films that that you what you might have seen and forgotten about, mm. or you might not even have heard of. You know, I mean, you, you most people have some kind of streaming facility. And you will find a lot of these films in the usual places. Mm. And a lot we'll of them cre- are free on YouTube as well, I know. actually. Which... Yeah, that, good point. Good point. You can get them for nothing. But they're around. They're there. But I think, I think let's make it our mission, Lucy, to <laughs> convince people that, you know, you don't need to see cars blowing up. You don't need to see um, superhero Marvel DC Comics characters doing the same thing over and over again i mean we want them to see a proper story being told yes for sure and i think for a lot of people if they haven't investigated classic film yet Mm. they will be really surprised at the quality of scripts Mm. in the in the 60s um i recently watched charade and oh yeah it's so slick and so mm. quick as a film and mm. Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn are continuously not exactly slinging insults at each other but 
everything is incredibly quick and you have to be very engaged as an audience yeah. member to catch yeah. everything that they're saying. Uh, but you see, that's it though, Lucy. It, it's the sort of film that keeps you on your toes. Mm, exactly. You know, you, you know, the sort of film you might watch today, right, you don't have to think too much, but these films make you think. They keep you on your toes. And I think Sherrard, I, th- I think Hepburn and Cary Grant are just brilliant. That aren't they They're great together. together? They bounce off each other so well, but it but it's a very it's a very literate script. It's uh, very cerebral. It makes you think. Right? I'm all for, I'm all for films that make you work a bit harder. Yes, right? exactly. And they don't just need to have a great script or great mm. dialogue. One of my other favourite films from the 1960s is Le Samurai with. Um, Alan Delon in it. Have you have you seen that one? I saw that a very long time ago, Ah. but not recently. Well, just just to recap, it follows Alan Delon, whose character is a lone wolf, kind of spy, kind of assassin Mm. sort of guy. Yeah, and he really does not say pretty much anything throughout the whole movie. (laughs) <laughs> he's just he, silent and tips his cap a few times but you know well, yeah but you see Alan Delon's so cool though anyway very he? very cool he doesn't have to he's, you know it's a bit like Steve McQueen isn't it you know you don't somebody like that who's got so charismatic and got so much presence on screen yeah they don't he's need to do a lot of that charismatic in the look they don't yeah, need that, to you know say yeah, I mean so tell me more about this film tell me because it's such a long time ago since I saw it so you've got Alan Delon's character I can't quite remember the name of because they never really refer to his name very often. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's an expert at his job of this assassination yeah. um, business, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And one of his hits goes a bit wrong, but he follows protocol right. to try and yeah. kind of get out yeah. of it. Yeah, but it's coming back he, to me now. Yeah. yeah, but then he gets caught by the police right. and he's made sure that he's got an airtight alibi um, and makes it look like he's been staying over at this girl's house. Right, okay. But actually, he's obviously been murdering this guy. And the police kind of know. They haven't got any evidence. They can't put him away. Yeah. But they kind of know. And then you get into a point pretty much halfway through the film where the police are like, right, okay, we, we can't keep you here. Yeah. Because we've got no evidence to hold you, but they're yeah. suspicious. Yeah. And then his superiors, who sent him to do the do the um, killing, mm. they're also like, well, the police also have him on, like they they've they've got him right. on their radar. Right, we okay. have to finish him off as well. So it becomes yeah. a very kind of skillful yeah. cat and mouse chase across yeah. the Paris metro. Yeah, uh, not yeah. much dialogue really. I. I must go. Now you've told me about it, I've got to see it now. <laughs> it, uh, I, I will find that. I, it's I will free see on it. YouTube or somewhere. Uh, I've definitely I found a... it for free somewhere. You've, you've hooked me now, Lucy. I've got. <laughs> I've got to watch it now. That's not good. I've, yeah, it's, yeah. It sounds great, but you know, the the way you know the French, the way the French approach filmmaking, though, has always been like that, hasn't it? It's, very it's always, stylish and very. It's very Cool. First thing you think of, first thing you think of about a French movie is it's stylish, it's well designed, it, visually it looks very good. Yeah, love that sort of thing. Really love that. 
And I'm you not sure what we Sorry, have now. You know, what do we have now that's uber stylish and well, yeah. I mean, I, I think, think we definitely have indie films coming out, but as yeah. a mainstream cinema production, yeah. What do we have that's kind of stylish, but also something I, that requires you to think of it? Because yeah. I don't think no, the big Marvel I, productions are. No, there, there aren't. <laughs> there aren't many, Lucy. There are very few. I, I feel that again, it's just my opinion, but. I feel that there are too few too few films being made today that aren't aren't just about making money. Mm. You know, in the sixties particularly, they wanted to make films that represented something, that stood for something, that are going to be remembered. All right, they're in it to make money as well. That's the name of the game. It's an industry. But now it seems to be they don't care as much about making a quality film. They just want to make films that make money. And to me, that's that's a given. But you don't want to sacrifice meaning and that kind of distinction that yeah. a film should give you, just for the sake of making more money. And if what you're doing is nothing more than a, than a, a, a game that you can muck about with on PlayStation, which is what it feels like with some films, you know, there are very few films that do that. You know, there are a few films being made today that do that. There are, there are some exceptions, though. Mm. Um, if I can suggest a film currently running at the moment called Living. Oh, yes. Based on um, Ikaru, I believe. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Starring Bill Nye. Yeah. Now, this could be one of the rare exceptions. And it, it's based in the 60s anyway. In fact, to be, be more precise, it's kind of like late 50s, early 60s-ish. But um, Bill Nye... Brilliant actor. We all love Bill Nye, don't we? But he's playing a, uh, a rather dour character who works for the, what was the London County Council and discovers that he has a terminal illness and decides to start living a bit. And uh, he builds a children's playground because he works in the planning department of the LCC. Oh, it's beautiful, Lucy. That sounds absolutely lovely. That's yeah. So- Definitely but, onto my list, and maybe yeah, I should be. You, you be, must watch it. Stop the divide of you know modern film versus classic film it, in it's, my brain. <laughs> yeah, it's it sticks out. If you if you look at what's running at the moment at the cinema, it really stands out because it's it's so old fashioned. I mean, it's a period drama anyway. It's set in the as I say, fifties, stroke sixties. But it stands out because just because of what we've been speaking about, that it it's a film that has the qualities of a sixties film. It's not. It doesn't feel like a modern film at all to me. Um, another film made recent that released recently that does that is Mrs. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Oh yes, I've seen that. It's absolutely wonderful. Seen... Yeah, it's, and then I went that... to Paris the same weekend. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> so I did but... have the full Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris experience. Yeah, but isn't isn't that a film with the sixties feel? It's distinctly sixties. It's set in the sixties, but you've got all the great Dior dresses, haven't you? Mm. You've got the great. You've got two of the greatest locations in the world. You've got London. You've got Paris, and you think, what more do you need? You know, exactly. and it, and it's just a, a very, it's probably more heartwarming than, than gritty and edgy. Yes, it's it's, not it's meant a to... bit more kind of for your mum, kind of yeah. in the nicest way. I like, I, yes. I loved it. So, but 
But yeah. there's there's a film that that gives you something different. That it's gives got real you heart to it as yeah, well. Yeah, it's got heart, and it it's the essence of, of the sixties as well. I think it's interesting that you um, you mentioned about the strength of scripts mm. being very important. You know, I don't think it's quite as important in filmmaking these days because of the type of films that are being made. But back then, it, it was it was more important. And I think when you look at um, the classic kitchen sink drama, it owes so much to the angry young men, so-called. Yeah. You know, I think we need to mention that. People <laughs> like John Osborne, Kingsley Amos, Harold Pinter, and Alan Silito, who did the screenplay for Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. Mm, yeah. They, they, they portray that. You, you know, when you go to see a, a stage play, you've got an intensity, haven't you? You've got a live audience. Yeah. You've got the um, kind of the goosebumps on your arm. Exactly. <laughs> you see, because I think theatre scripts are so powerful compared to what a film script is, they get adapted. But if you can transfer that intensity of a, a, a play, of a theatre script onto film, you've got a winner. You're onto a winner. Yeah. And that's why, why so many of these films work. And, you know, A Taste of Honey was originally a stage play and it's oh, still right. running now. Yeah. So, you know, there's that as well. I think that it um, it ensures that you've got a strong storyline, a storyline that works and challenges you as a viewer. Yes, and you're not just kind of being rocked by action or yeah. car chases or what have you, which can be really great. You know, that's not denying that, but you do yeah. need some kind of grounding in story and character. Yeah, of course. Or, you know, the, the, all the action starts. Yeah. But I mean, then again, though, I mean, there are some films in the 60s that they do give you a fair amount of action on a much wider sort of panoramic landscape. Uh, I'm thinking of Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> with Piero Tull. Now, we, we've got elements of it's an action movie, partly, but it's also a very powerful tale somebody's life and what what they packed into that life um dh lawrence is a gold mine is is a gift for any filmmaker yeah when it's just the real he... width and breadth of a whole life yeah, rather exactly. than yeah. i suppose fun vignettes or something yeah so you know the 60s could do that as well it it offers so much i feel like you could definitely spend a lot of time exploring lots of different film released in the 60s yeah. and not really get tired of being stuck no. in that period. No, I, I, I wouldn't. And whilst you could say, I mean, there's a difference between uh, a film feeling contemporary. You could have a contemporary drama and you could have a period drama. Now, in the 60s, they were all contemporary at the time they were when we look at them now they're period dramas mm. but they don't lose their relevance and no. their power do they because it's telling a story that we understand you know that it's portraying what happened in the past and how attitudes have changed but it's still a real story involving real people yeah and, and because that... a lot of it has this grit and realism to it mm. with really well fleshed out characters mm. you can easily kind of transpose that into your own life, even though it's, yeah. you know, 60 years away from that, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think if you wanted to get started looking into the 
films of the 1960s and maybe move away from you know the one or two 60s films that you've looked at whether it be the great oliver or mm. um you know, <laughs> breakfast mm. of divinies i think mm. there's so much to explore in the 60s yeah there is that you can really find kind of a film for any taste you yeah. know uh, yeah, that, that being said you know we're just kind of wrapping things up in a bit um mm. what are your kind of top five 1960s movies oh oh that's difficult <laughs> well like, i'll tell you what they are now <laughs> right but if you ask me tomorrow or, or next they, they week, might they might have changed they'll yeah. be different they will be totally different uh right okay then if i if here and now if i picked <laughs> my top five films of the 60s i was in no particular order right um so please don't make me put them in the order one two three four five i couldn't do that lucy no that's too difficult yeah um my my top five would be the italian job yeah 1969 starring michael kane the great escape mm-hmm. 1963 lawrence of arabia 1962 this sporting life 1963 which starred richard harris and rachel roberts Great story, powerful story about a miner who becomes a rugby league player. Brilliant. Ah, is it still in the kind of kitchen sink drama? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. It's, it's, it's in that territory. Uh, then I would say The Ipcrest File, 1964, mm-hmm. Michael Caine. And I would say also Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. Oh, because, yeah. because it was the, the first film of its type and because... The characters were real. They were working class actors playing working class characters who we understood. That would be my five for now. <laughs> at, the, at the moment. I'll ask you tomorrow and it'll be a completely different. Exactly. What, so what about your five then? So I think I'd probably have to steal Saturday night and Sunday morning because I mm. think it's such a, a great one. Yeah. Um, I would have to go back to The Servant as well, Ooh, which yeah. Ooh, yeah. I kind of vaguely touched upon, but that is such a good like psycho thriller mm. um that's again in black and white as well actually mm. directed by joseph Lowsley. um and then i would probably have to say maybe something like um rocco and his brothers which is probably my favorite film of all time okay but yeah. every time i discuss it it's basically an italian kitchen sink drama yeah and yeah. it is three hours long and I have got the most terrible I, way of presenting it because I'm like, it's three hours long and really sad. Yeah, and everyone's I'm, like, don't say that. <laughs> I know. Has this, got, has this got subtitles or is it dubbed? Or... It's, it's, it's got subtitles. Um, right. Okay. And, and where can this be seen, this film? I own it on DVD. I think it's very difficult to, to find. Yeah, I had a feeling is, it might, which might is be. It's very annoying. But yeah. Um, yeah. it's something that can be really rewatch time and time again yeah. because it involves yeah. five different brothers right as they they move into metropolis of like milan and right. they get used to kind of the working life in milan because they've moved up from rural italy right. okay then. and so yeah. it's very similar to british kitchen sink dramas but right Italy. yeah it, yeah <laughs> it, it's kind of plugging into that style isn't it by the sound of it yeah yeah, yeah. and it's it's quite it's it's quite at some places it can be a bit of a kind of difficult watch, but it's very kind of realist and to the bone. So mm. I would 
really recommend that if you were interested in watching British kitchen sink dramas or you no, wanted got, to kind of to, to I've got to see out. that I've got to see that as well you'll have to tell me how I can get hold of that yeah um, I'll, I'll try and figure out if there's a there's a different way yeah, to watch it um, yeah so you may be curious now I've got to see this yeah. one of my other favorites is also The Innocence um which is a ghost story starring Gab um Deborah Carr Oh, okay. yeah, yeah yeah it's and um it's kind of i think it is completely based on the turn of the screw by henry james oh okay right yeah um but it's obviously called something different and it's yeah. about a victorian governess who has to look after these children to keep seeing okay. ghosts yeah i've got it um, yeah I but know. it's great and then probably to to round off my my rambly list i'd probably mm-hmm. say the apartment again because oh, i just yeah. don't think you can go wrong with the apartment yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more there um i'm so glad you you mentioned the apartment because it's such a great film you know that um doesn't get the attention that it deserves i don't think but no that's I what think, we're here for lucy yeah everyone watch the apartment <laughs> yep yep i think at christmas though as, as we said earlier on that a lot of these films will be running anyway Mm. It's, they tend to run on the terrestrial channels more often. Well, certainly Christmas. something like um, the apartment, because that kind of ends with old lang syne, so with the new year. Yeah, could well be. Yeah, yeah, that kind of makes sense. So, I think we've, I think we've given listeners uh, uh, a very useful taster. It's yeah. an opening salvo to encourage people to watch films from the sixties. Yes, maybe, you know, spend this Christmas period finding all of them on the terrestrial Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, look look for every film we've mentioned, watch (laughs) them, and let us know what you think of them. Exactly, exactly. All right, so I think, yeah, I think we've we've exhausted the 60s. (laughs) For the time being, for the time being, yeah. So thank you very much um, for listening, and let us know if you find any of these films and you enjoyed them and you've kind of discovered some new films to watch um so um thanks to us all from uk film review and um listening to the next episode bye bye for now take care Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.